This is Living Lean, the show that teaches you how to apply the science of nutrition and training to sustainably create your leanest, strongest body and build the most confident version of yourself. I'm your host, Jeremiah Bear. Let's get into the show. What is going on? Welcome back to the show. Today, we are talking about a hotly debated topic in the fitness industry, and that is the strength training differences for women versus men. So for you as a coach or an advanced trainee yourself, how should you be programming specific to your gender? Should you be programming differently at all? So when it comes to gender differences in training, you'll typically hear two things, or basically we have these two camps. Camp number one says, if women train like men, they're going to get overly muscled and bulky. And camp number two says, women and men should train exactly the same. Women are basically little men. (laughs) And both of these camps are very vocal about their beliefs. So it's very hard to know who to believe, which is exactly why I'm recording this podcast today. This is something that I get questions about quite often. So let's dive into the actual physiological differences, as well as some of the psychological differences that you need to take into account that I take into account when programming for you as an online client. So first and foremost, we have muscle distribution. So proportionally more of men's muscle mass is in the upper body, while women's muscle mass is proportionately greater in the lower body. So although women and men have a very similar ability to increase strength and muscle mass relative to their starting point, men generally start the process with much more upper body musculature than women and thus often will have a higher ceiling for how muscular their upper bodies get. So this means that women will grow, or this idea that women will grow bulky or manly upper bodies by strength training is actually very inaccurate. The reality is man or woman, an extremely muscular body takes years of focused effort on while getting a jacked upper body. It doesn't happen unintentionally, and it doesn't happen overnight. It's likely much, and the reality is, again, it's likely, and again, there is even some genetic variance here, but it is likely much harder for women to just accidentally stumble upon a crazy jacked upper body, something I've been trying to do for years and it's still a work in process. Um, that said, this also kind of explains like typically, and again, not to throw any stereotypes out here, but generally women will enjoy training lower body more because that's where they're stronger. Men will often enjoy training upper body more. We have the stereotypical dude that loves to skip leg day. Um, can't say I haven't been there in the past, but again, men are typically going to have more upper body musculature. So a little bit of an explanation on why that seems to be people's preferences. Next, we have hormones. So women usually have a lot more of the hormone estrogen than men. Estrogen helps muscle repair recovery, meaning that most women can handle both more volume or think number of hard sets in a training session, and they can train muscle groups more frequently. Whereas men usually have a lot more of the hormone testosterone, which means that they'll usually start out with more muscle, which is something we mentioned earlier. So this is all relative to where you start out at. Um, we can generally, again, women and men generally have a, can 
make a, a relatively similar amount of progress across a training career. But again, some men will start in a more advantageous position. Um, hormonal fluctuations also mean that many women will experience more fluctuations with how they feel showing up to a training session across a month. Well, men will experience very little variation here. So there are some individuals in the training community that actually talk about training specific to like the female menstrual cycle, which is a very interesting topic. So, and I think actually, I think I talked about this a bit on my episode with Sam Miller. So basically the thinking here is, I'm going to try to summarize this as briefly as possible, but the thinking here is, okay, during the follicular phase, which is basically the first half of your cycle. So I think like the first couple of weeks if we're on a typical 28 day cycle, I don't know why we I said we're, but if you are on a typical 28 day cycle, then think of this as like the first half. Typically, estrogen is going to be the highest then, so typically also mood recovery are going to be the highest. So that's when we push training intensity, we push training volume the most. Then after this, we see a dip in estrogen leading to the luteal phase. So here we reduce volume a bit. And then in this last like week or so leading up to menstruation, then that's when we will really dial it back a bit more. And honestly, if you look at like the typical mesocycle of training, if we look at like a four to one or a, like a three weeks, three weeks accumulation, one week, week deload, which is how I program for many clients. And again, it depends like on how close we start to failure but typically i like a four week block with like a three to one ratio of accumulation to deload um if we look at things like that this actually lines up generally pretty well already but that's the thinking behind this like training around your menstrual cycle now that said i do think that this is something that would be very easy to overthink i think it's more like a it's more client by client basis like hey, how do you feel at this time? Because the reality is, as someone that's worked with hundreds of women, both coaching in person and online, there's just so much variance between how people feel throughout the month. So really the best thing you can do as a coach is just communicate with your client on how they're feeling. I do have some clients like, okay, we're gonna bump you up to maintenance during this week. Maybe we'll we'll dial back the training volume a little bit. But on the flip side, other clients feel great. And in that case, there's no reason to slow the progress. All right, so moving on from hormones, next we have muscle fiber differences. So men usually have more, quote unquote, fast twitch fibers and higher glycolytic capacity, meaning that men can better use glucose to fuel short explosive bouts of training. Now, the downside of this is quicker fatigue and longer recovery times after said explosive bouts. Now, women tend to, so basically men have more type 2 fast twitch fibers. Women tend to have more type 1 slow twitch fibers and greater capillary density. So type 1 fibers are better at breaking down both carbs and fat. Greater capillary density means an improved ability to get blood to a muscle and clear metabolites. So basically think the stuff that builds up in your muscles when you feel the burn. And women also have larger stores of intramuscular fat. So this paired with the type one fibers ability to break down fat means that women are often burning more fat and less glycogen training than men. So in turn, perceived effort of an exercise 
which is tied in closely with how much glycogen you have available, is lower for women, and basically it takes longer to stall out. So basically, women generally fatigue slower and recover quicker, but are less explosive. Men generally are more explosive, but fatigue quicker and recover slower. So women are generally better doing at doing high reps than men and can do more reps at a given percentage or their one rep max than men. So when we're programming here, it does often make sense to, or you'll find, and again, this is very much based on the individual, which is why I can't give like, <laughs> do this specific amount of volume for women versus men. But often we'll find that women can handle more hard sets throughout a training day, a training week, and a training mesocycle than men, and also respond slightly better to slightly higher rep ranges. Again, because they can typically do more reps at a given percentage of their one rep max as opposed to men. All right, so moving on to anatomy, we have to cut touch on the Q angle. So women tend to have wider hips than men and thus a greater Q angle. So this is just a measurement of the angle between the quad muscles and the patella tendon. So if that doesn't like right away register in your brain, basically think men typically their hips are going to be more or less centered over their knees. Whereas often, because women do have this tendency to have wider hips due to like the ability you need to be able to have children, for example, um, hips will often be further out as opposed to centered directly over the knees. So what this equates to is what an increased Q angle equates to is a tendency for the knees to cave in during hip flexion movements. So think, for example, like a squat pattern. This results in many women being more quote unquote quad dominant. So I've had many women start online co coaching with me that are scared to train lower body movements because let's say something like whenever I train lower body, only my thighs or my quads grow and not my glutes or hamstrings. Now, the reality is this can likely partially be blamed on the Q angle. Again, typically we have this tendency to cave in and like knees cave in during any type of hip flexion movements. I don't know why I keep saying we. <laughs> we, there's a tendency for knees to cave in during these hip flexion movements and it turns into a more quad dominant movement. So fortunately I found that this is always something that's fixable with proper exercise selection and intention, which is really the beauty of having a training program completely individualized to you, like my online clients get. But basically it's running through a lot of cues to, okay, how can we make these movements more hip or more glute and hamstring dominant? So like with lunges, for example, can we, instead of doing like a typical walking lunge, which you know lights up your quads, let's make this a deficit reverse lunge. We're gonna get a big stretch on the glute. I'm gonna have you lean forward slightly to create more stretch to the glutes and hamstrings there, then I don't want you to allow your knee to drift over your toe. And on the way up, you're really going to drive through that heel and focus on extending at the hips instead of extending at the knee. So really like subtle things like that and really just smart exercise selection. So, okay, we know that maybe right now for you, a barbell back squat is a very quad dominant movement. So instead, we're going to focus on a Bulgarian split squat. Again, we're going to get a slight forward lean. You're going to focus on breaking at the hips as you're sitting back into the movement. And then on the way up again, you're really going to drive the heel and focus on extending at your hips instead of driving your knee back. 
So little subtle tweaks like that within programming can make all the difference for someone that's struggled with being quad dominant in the past. And again, this is really where having an individualized program for you makes a massive difference. So also when we're talking anatomy, women are generally more flexible than men and more often hypermobile as well, it seems. So like everything in coaching, of course, is very individual, which is why I have all my online clients record a movement assessment before prescribing any mobility or movement. But generally, women will need very little mobility work and benefit more from stability and activation work in their pre-workout priming, whereas men, on the other hand, generally benefit more from more mobility work. So typically women are going to, again, like the flexibility, the mobility isn't a problem. It's the fact that often struggle more to be stable through this entire range. So we spend more time focusing on activation, on stabilizing. For example, core activation work to help stabilize the spine. Um, We're activating the hamstrings to help stabilize the knees. So different things like that again, are just smart things to take into consideration here. And then finally, we have exercise selection. Now, this is generally where the biggest difference lies in how I program for online clients. And the reality is, while it's not that different, we're not like a different species, it's also dumb to say that everyone should train exactly the same. Generally, women and men have different muscles that they want to build or avoid building, and we must take this into consideration when building clients' programs. So typically, men are going to want more focus on quads, chest, biceps, traps. So this means that in your metric-based lifts, you'd likely focus on more barbell squat variations, for example, or a leg press or a hack squat, basically more, we're focusing on more squat or more dominant patterns in lower body training which are going to be more quad dominant and more horizontal presses, which are generally more chest focused. And then with our auxiliary movements and finishers, again, we focus on exercises that focus more on your desired muscle group. So for example, think like here, we'd work on something like a walking lunge, add more volume to the quads, um, a cable crossover to add more volume to the chest, a bicep curl variations, add more volume to biceps or shrugs to help build your traps. Now, on the other hand, generally the online or the women I've worked with in online coaching will want more focus on glutes, shoulders, and hamstrings, and less focus on things like traps and quads. So this means that in your metric-based list, we'd likely focus more on hinges as opposed to, or hip dominant movements as opposed to knee dominant movements. So here we're choosing less quad dominant squat variations. So again, like that example I used earlier, Maybe we're focusing on a Bulgarian split squat with a forward lean instead of a back squat. Or even with our deadlift selection, maybe we're focusing on instead of doing a traditional deadlift or a trap bar deadlift, maybe we're focusing on a sumo deadlift. With our presses, instead of focusing on so much on horizontal presses, which are really more chest dominant, some delt involved in there as well, but they're more chest dominant we're probably doing more vertical pressing, which is gonna be more shoulder focused. Um, In your auxiliary movements and finishers, we'll focus on exercises that focus on your desired muscle groups again. So for example, we'd probably plug in like a reverse lunge here instead of a forward lunge because we know a reverse lunge is gonna be a lot more posterior dominant. Maybe instead of the cable crossover variation that we talked about for men, here we plug in like a cable lateral raise. That's gonna be more focused on the delts 
It's going to be a delta isolation exercise, actually. And that's going to add more volume to the delts instead of the chest. Maybe we work in like some type of band glute finisher instead of working on shrugs and traps for men. I think that all makes sense. So let's get into some takeaways quick to wrap this up. First, proportionally more of men's muscle masses in the upper body, while women's muscle mass is proportionally greater in the lower body. Second, women generally fatigue slower and recover quicker, but are also less explosive. Men are generally more explosive, but fatigue quicker and recover slower. Women are generally better at doing higher reps than men and can do more reps at a given percentage of their one rep max than men. And due to better ability to recover and lower fatigue, women can likely benefit from more volume, think again, number of hard sets, both in a training session and across a training mesocycle, as well as across multiple years of training. Now, all that said, the fundamentals of smart training are universal for for men and women alike. We want to focus on progressing variations of squat, hinge, lunge, push, pull, anti-movement. Exercise selection should be specific to your client's goals. It's smart to do about 70 to 80% of our movements via compound lifts and 20 to 30% comes in with isolation work. For most people, we want to get stronger in the 5 to 15 rep range and we want to stop most sets with one to three reps left in the tank to make sure that we're achieving effective reps. And we want to make sure we're resting long enough between sets to actually make the next set effective. So basically one to two minutes for isolation work, two to four minutes for most compound lifts, if not a little bit longer for very, very taxing movements. And in a nutshell, that is how we wrap up these strength training differences between men and women. Now, Before I let you go, do me two quick favors. First, if you enjoyed this episode, if you took value from it, take a screenshot of this right now and post it to your Instagram story. Tag me as well so I can connect with you and I can share this on my page also. We're really growing the reach of this show together. Second, if you want to hop on the wait list for my eight-week training program, which is releasing soon, that takes into account all these details I've been giving you and our last few episodes talking about all things program design, then click the link in the show notes to hop on the wait list. Again, this is an eight-week program delivered through the True Coach app that I use for all my one-on-one coaching clients. Not only will you have the program that'll help you achieve your best body composition ever, you'll also have access to a private community for support from me. I'll be going live in there, answering any and all questions you have, helping you with form, lots of different factors there so it really feels like you have a coach with you every time you hit the gym all right guys and that is all i have for you today thank you for tuning in